Well, good morning. It's great to see you all here on this. Isn't it beautiful outside this morning? I was amazed just uh, when mowing my lawn yesterday and just the smells, no, actually on Friday, just the smells that were coming off the, the bushes just with their flowers. It is spring, it is full bloom, and it is gorgeous out there. So glad you're here, glad you're inside this morning, getting some air conditioning for free. And uh, no, no, I'm just kidding, but uh, we're going to be diving back into the book of John. We're going to be examining a little bit further about this conversation we had about light. In fact, what's... Um, What's interesting for me is this reminded me of a, of a situation that happened about six or seven months ago, or last summer, actually. We, my wife and I had just been hanging out with Bob and Gina Vildebill down, I think it was one of their, their son's home down in Temecula, and we were just, uh, just gotten there with the kids, and we were going to pack the kids in, the, in and we were going to drive up, because we just wanted to check out, uh, uh, I think it was the opening night of Sandals, and they were opening their, their giant new auditorium that they have there, and um, I just, uh, we have friends there, and so we were like, hey, let's get over there. So we pack in the car driving down the 215 on our way where we just hit March Air Force Base area and you look off to our left and you know we're going north and that's out towards the uh, towards the ocean there's this brilliant light that suddenly just starts shining in the sky and I didn't see it at first my son Jonathan's like look at the light what is that light and I'm like what in the world is it? and I didn't see it and I'm like this is crazy I'm near March Air Force Base I'm thinking is there a plane gonna land on us what is going on here because this thing is just filling up the sky of course my kids are like it's aliens ah! you know, that whole kind of freak out. I'm thinking, did the North Koreans actually do it? You know, it's like kind of looking at this, find out later that, I don't know if you saw this, they were testing a missile off the coast of the, off the coast of Southern California. Just, and this thing just had such a brilliance about it. You could see it all over Southern California. Anybody see that that night? It was, it was trippy. Like it was weird. It was kind of scary. You're like, oh, what is this thing? And it was something you had to deal with. My kids were wondering about it in the morning. We were talking about it on the next day and here at, here at church and what it was and how it worked out. It was so bright and so clear. Everyone had an opinion about what this thing was out in the middle of the ocean. And that's exactly the idea that we're getting to here in the book of John. And I want to take us back to this conversation of this light, a light that is shining so brightly, so brilliantly, everybody's got to deal with it. Everybody's got to have, has a question about it. Everybody's got to engage it. And that's what we're going to be looking at. So grab your Bible, if you will, go to John chapter one, and we're going to start in verses six through 13. Hey, we're going to cover more verses than we have in the entire time in the book of John in one day. Woo, we're trucking. Anyway, so the, uh, we've got some opportunities to move forward here. So if you have a Bible, grab it, open there. If you don't, you can find a Bible under your seat, pull it out, page 886, and you'll be right there with us in the book of John. It reads like this. It begins in verse 6. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own pe- and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we begin with this interesting start. There's this light that's been shining. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's where we left off in verse 5. And suddenly there's just this light shining in the world. 
And what do we do with this light? Brilliant as it was, sitting off the, off the coast, people had questions. My children were wondering what it was. Everything from aliens to, the, to Jesus and the end of the world because they're pastor's kids. And the reality is just, what is this light that's shining into the world? Have we been left to just try to figure it out on our own? No. In fact, what God has done is he, he starts with this guy, John. God has sent witnesses to call all men to believe. And there's this idea that he hasn't just left us alone. He's literally brought these ideas of witnesses engaged. Notice again, let's pick it up again at verse six. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is not the author, John. This is John the Baptist. If any of you have been journeying through your Bible and you, or you've gone through your Bible, once you've hit one of the gospels and you've probably met John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a guy who wears camel hair and got wild hair and he's kind of eating weird things like locusts and honey. And he's an image of a prophet. He is the final prophet of the Old Testament age, and he is preaching. And his whole goal here is summed up in these few passages as we are introduced to John. We'll meet John more as we get moving through the book of, the book of, uh, of John. We'll meet John the Baptist a little bit more. But we're going to start here. So he comes in this scene. His name was John, and he came as a witness. Notice he's not called John the Baptist. He's, he's kind of almost being called John the Witness. And this is kind of important because a lot of people get focused in on John as the baptizer, that we're supposed to baptize each other. We're supposed to dunk each other. We're supposed to make sure this baptism stuff gets done because that's what's important. Ritual rites and ritual rules is what needs to be done. And in fact, the church has been caught into that before throughout history. And right here at the beginning, it seems that John's saying, look, rituals aren't the important thing. The Jewish people in their time period in the first century were focused on these rites. These Pharisees had showed up in the synagogues and been kicking out Christians in the background of this text. And they'd also been emphasizing that you need to be circumcised. You need to be, if you join the church, you need to wash with water. You need to ensure that you get yourself focused in on the right kind of foods and, and all these different things. So there's these very clear ways you had to live to be Jewish. And it's interesting that almost like John, the apostle just kind of goes, let's set aside the baptism for a second. Let's talk about what John's real mission was. John's real mission here is not to baptize. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He came as a witness, like in a law court, to testify what he saw and knew about this light that is shining in the world. Now, it's important to note this because John is like the pinnacle here. He is like the witness guy. And yet this word witness is something that you and I should underline in our Bibles. This is a big, big deal for John the Apostle. If you have a pencil, go ahead and mark. You can write in your Bible. It's actually okay. And you would want to write witness. It's as important as the word light. It's going to show up a whole bunch of times. And it's going to be applied to a bunch of different people. For example, it'll be applied first to John. Then it's going to be applied to the Father. Then it will be applied to Jesus' works. It's going to be applied to the Spirit and the apostles ultimately. And this idea of all these different witnesses about who Jesus is and about what he has done is important. Because John the Apostle doesn't stop there. In fact, there's another time he uses the term witness, but it's not in the book of John. It's actually in another one of his books. It's in the last book that he writes. It's in the book of Revelation. Revelation is one of those weird esoteric books that everybody wants their preacher to go through because they want answers, but every preacher dares not go there. And so I have never gone there yet and um, don't intend to until we've studied everything else first. So anyway, the... Uh, and at the rate we're moving through John, I mean, I have to worry about that. The, uh, the reality is that, but John does reference this idea of witness found later 
in the book of Revelation. It's in chapter six. And what's interesting about this, this portion of the witness is that in chapter six, you have the, you've zoomed out in, in this vision of John and you're looking at heaven. You're looking at the throne room of heaven, actually, where God dwells himself. And it looks a lot like the temple if you read the Old Testament. So if you know the Old Testament temple layout, you'll understand a little bit what's going on. But if you don't, imagine the room is like this. There would be this centerpiece, which is kind of cordoned off. There's big old curtain across the center, which is, has angels on it. And they're blocking the way to the throne of God. Outside is an altar where you would sprinkle the blood so that you would have the remission of sins. It's the altar that we zoom in on this point where the, where the people of Israel have been forgiven of their sins by what goes on the altar. Instead, you roll it back and somebody else's blood has been splattered on this altar. And what you see here is this. It starts in, it's in Revelation 6 and verse 9. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told, rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed, note that, as they themselves had been. These men who had witnessed, these women who had witnessed for Christ had found themselves killed. Now stop for a minute and realize something interesting about the word witness. In Greek, the word witness is actually the word we use today for martyr. To be a witness was to be a martyr. The first witness, John the Baptist, will find his head being chopped off for his witness about the truth. Jesus, the next witness, will find himself crucified for being the witness of his father, for being the one sent by his father to proclaim that he is the light. The apostles, all of them, save John the apostle here, will die for their faith in a bloody form of execution to the point where even the whole church that is pictured here under the altar of God have all been told, hold on a second, there's a few more of your brothers that need to be killed first. They got a little bit more witnessing to do. Does that change the context of martyr? I mean, we hear martyr and what do we think? We think Islam right now, don't we? People will strap bombs to their chest to be martyrs by killing people who they perceive as their enemies versus what the gospel is saying. People who believe so clearly and so truly that God loves humanity, that he himself would bear their sins on the cross so they could have a relationship with him, that they're willing to go out and proclaim that even if they would lose their lives. That is a totally different thing. A witness is a person who loves others so greatly, so willingly, and they know God's message so well, they're willing to give themselves that others might hear it and receive it. And here, John is the first image of this. He's the, he's the top level witness. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. See, John wasn't worried about baptizing. He was worried that people would trust in the person, this light that he's pointing to. He wanted everybody to come see him so he could point them in the next direction. Go that way. He, the light is what you're interested in. Go over there. Now, here's the thing. If this is what John does as a witness and the church is supposed to be the witnesses, it's our job to be pointing people to the light. You hear what I'm saying for a second? I am inviting you into a very dangerous calling. Because when you received Christ, you received the calling of being a witness for him 
I'm not talking about a Jehovah's Witness, okay? Not, not, not that. I'm talking about you being somebody who is called to a message of love and grace, called so much you'd be willing to go through pain and drop our suburban, lovely Corona lifestyle for the sake that somebody might hear, that your reputation on Facebook might plummet because you're willing to talk about who Jesus is and point to the light, that you're willing to bear suffering like Christ bore suffering so that other people might live. This is what the church is called to. This is what we are as witnesses. And what's powerful is you don't have an excuse. So many, so many times have we heard this. I mean, I did this when I was young. You get into this mentality that, well, we pay you, Greg, to be the witness. You're the professional witness here. You get the salary, at least if not you, then Kevin Kane is the official outreach pastor. He takes care of the evangelism. Let him do the job. That can be a danger, can it? Anybody agree with me? Yes, just nod your head. Or otherwise, you're looking at me like, what did you just say? You know, you give me that stare. And the reality is that we can, we can do this. Oh, he's the John the Baptist guy. You know, we, we, he's the professional clergy. He knows, what the, uh, he knows what the gospel is. He knows how to give it. It's his job. And I want to remind everybody that in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, it, tells, it gives a pastoral staff their job description. It actually tells us our job is not to run around and tell everybody about Jesus. Our job is to equip you to do so. Our job is to pick this up, put it together in a manner that you guys can use it and get out there and tell people about Christ. Yeah, I have the same calling. I need to get out there and tell people about Christ. That's because I'm a Christian, not because I'm a pastor. We're all on the same team. We just play different positions. And so it's important not to lean on the, if you're the center, not to lean everything on the point guard. You need to each play our positions and each one of us are a part of this reality that guys, we're all a part of this group called the church that is to witness about Christ. Now, I get it. You say, but I'm not called. I mean, look, it says John the Baptist was sent. Notice this, right? At verse six, the man was sent from God. You're like, I'm not sent from God. All contraire. In John chapter 20, at the very end of the book, when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he's meeting with his disciples. They see him and he turns to them and he says, peace be with you as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Just as the father sent me in the way that I was supposed to go, I'm, I'm sending you guys out. And we see that this is just one of the great commission statements in the Bible. One of the times where Jesus is saying, church, your job, you be witnesses of the light. Church, your opportunity, get this message out there. Church, go be the light. But you know what? We can get distracted, can't we? We can get way distracted. In fact, what's interesting, it seems like John was trying to warn us about the distractions that can come. Because notice verse 8, out it comes out of nowhere. He says, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Why, why does he need to say that? Why does John need to go, oh, John the Baptist showed up. And he was telling people about the light, and he had this passion for the light. He wanted everybody to know about the light. He wasn't the light, guys. Just hold on a second. The reason why it's kind of interesting in Ephesus at the time when Paul shows up and Paul was this apostle, this uh, man, this missionary who had planted churches all over the place, shows up in Ephesus where there's no church, where John is writing this from likely. And he, and he sees, and the first people he meets are these guys who go, we don't know nothing about the Holy Spirit. We've all been only baptized in the baptism of John. Many people believe that what, all they knew about Jesus and all they knew about his ministry was through John the Baptist. These were followers of John the Baptist. 
What's odd about this is that in Israel today, you can meet a sect of people who follow John the Baptist as their teacher. A thousand plus, you know, 2000 years later, roughly, John the Baptist is still venerated as a great teacher that should be followed. And it's as if something went wrong. Somewhere back there, John's goal was like, go to Jesus, go to Jesus. But we like you, John. Wait, isn't that funny? Go to Jesus. No, you're awesome. I'm not the light. So what? That sounds so silly. Until we all realize we're doing the same thing. I'm a Lutheran. That's a follower of Luther. I'm a Calvinist. Uh, you're a follower of Calvin. I'm an Arminian. Now, some of you guys are going, what in the world does all that mean? There are people who know and they understand what I'm saying. Don't worry about it. The reality is simply this. There are a lot of us out there who are ready to grab Chuck Smith's teachings and just go, good, there I am. I'm a Chuck Swindoll guy. Oh, I'm John MacArthur all the way. Greg Laurie, woo, Calvary Chat. You know, to pick your denomination, the problem is that too often in our lives, we will select a teacher to do our shorthand for us, and we forget that we're supposed to be witnesses of light, not witness for a teacher. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to study a teacher. You guys hear me? Let me make sure it's clear. I'm not saying don't go study a good teacher. Don't get involved in their theology, but be a good Brian. Study the word of God yourself. But I have had enough conversations with people who have put the teacher before the light. That they got distracted by the Bible study and the theology and forgot it was about answering the questions people are asking about the light. And I'll be honest, that's where I got to for a long time. I went to seminary. Seminary is awesome. And I believe that every minister should go to seminary. My heart got caught in the wrong things, though. Got caught in the wrong weeds. I started to be more concerned about the theology and the nitpick and the nitty gritty And to be quite honest, I was answering questions nobody in my neighborhood was asking. That none of my friends were curious about because I was curious. I wanted to dive deep. I want to know this stuff, which is not bad. But it became a distraction when God's heart was calling me to go and preach a message of hope to my neighbors, to my friends, to wonder about the person in Starbucks who's crying over there that I could minister to as a pastor, but I'd rather read my theology book because I'm rather uncomfortable right now. How easy it is to want to be after a messenger of the light than to be following the light. Don't ever take anybody on the stage. Don't ever take any pastor in America, no matter how good of an evangelist they are, how great of a missionary they've been. They are not the light. Jesus is the light. Amen. That's who we follow. That's where we press towards. It's so easy though, to get distracted. When we put the Bible study before the mission. And I fear Olive Branch, we've done a lot of that. Yes, we're going to the nations, but at the expense of some of our missionaries going, are we going to reach anybody at home? Because if we go away, we don't have support. And I bring this up because it's not bad to have Bible studies. It's not bad to have small groups. It's bad when all we're doing is talking about our own conversations and we have yet to have heard what our neighbor needs, what they're struggling with. That they don't even realize that the wrestling match they're having is with sin and not with psychology. Because we haven't been witnesses to the light yet. They're wondering, what is that big bright light over there? It must be aliens. And they're seeing the big bright light shining in your life. And they're going, it's the good stuff in you. And you're going, no, it's not. It's Jesus. 
But we let them kind of think, it's it's just the good stuff in me. Sure, we're good with that because I'm really uncomfortable right now because you might call me a name. I'm there, guys. That's me. I'm I'm, I'm kind of just preaching to myself all morning. I've just been having this heavy after first service, which just landed hard. And I believe it's because God's working in my heart. He's working in people's hearts who came forward crying because they're so scared to share their faith. Look, you're not alone if that's you. And I'm not here to hammer with the guilt. I'm here to challenge us that maybe we got distracted somewhere. Maybe our goal, maybe what we've been called to be are the witnesses to the light. And that word witness implies it's not gonna be easy. We could chalk up for easy and and ditch out, but it's not gonna be easy. And so... I want to challenge perhaps what God's called us to do as he sent us out is to bring this light and to stop thinking of our lives in some odd ways that we do about comforts and joys and more, but a little bit more about where are we and why are we here? It's interesting that the text goes on to warn us about a couple of things because there's this big bright light that's shining. Notice it right here. Verse nine, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Now this is a debated text and about how it's translated. What's coming to the world is the light coming to the world or is it all the people that are coming to the world. It really doesn't matter. The bottom line is that the, the light has come into the world and it's enlightened all men. Now there is the problem because a lot of people, we want to go like, Oh, that means they've got this inspiration from Jesus and everybody knows. And no, actually what it's meaning is there's this big bright light in the sky that everybody's got to deal with. And we all got questions. What is this? And immediately when I state that, the first question that pops into my mind is like, a timeout, Greg, hold on a second. Yeah? What about the Aztecs? Ever asked that question? What about the Maori down in uh, New Zealand? What about, what about the Aborigines in Australia? They didn't hear about it. Well, what's going on there? What about the Aztecs, the Iroquois, the, the Eskimo? I mean, these guys, even the Chinese, they weren't hearing about it. Obviously, if this big bright light is shining, why isn't God giving it to everybody? Why is only the Israelites getting it? And this is important to know because people will use this and they struggle with this. Like God left some people out there just with, without any opportunity. Well, first of all, that's not true. According to the book of Romans, everybody has plenty of knowledge about God to deal with it. According to Romans chapter one, as, as Paul is just ramping up into his, into his very powerful message about the gospel, he, he starts with, look, nobody's free from this objection. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so he starts with the basic, the basic of humanity is that we like what we do and we want to keep doing what we do. Well, let's be honest. Isn't that why most of our friends don't consider Christianity? Oh, you guys got all these do's and don'ts. We like what we're doing. And it's only when we we like what we're doing starts to destroy our lives that we're willing to go look somewhere else. The reality is we're suppressing truth. We don't want to look for something that's going to change the way we do things, the way we worship our idols, the way that we run around after, after other women or men, depending on the culture that you're in, or shooting other humans and eating them. You, you name it. This is all what the world has been dealing with since the beginning of time. And the reality is that we suppress this knowledge because we like what we're doing. For what can be known about God is plain to them, it says, because God has shown it to them. 
His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You want a little bit of proof evidence of that? There's no cultural group on the planet that doesn't have a belief in God or God's. We've invent, we are the first culture to show up to go, there's no God. Really odd in the history of humanity. The reality is every cultural group has created some kind of gods or gods because they look at the universe and say, something made this. Even when we know we have a beginning, we go, oh, yeah, it looks like something made this. And we try to answer the question. The reality is we've got tons of evidence to wrestle with. We just don't. But Greg, you have this bright light of Jesus shining. What about those people, man? What about their hearts? Well, I want to point out something. We're assuming in our argument that they would have received him if he showed up. Isn't that true? What about the Maya, what about the Maya and the Aztec? If Jesus just showed up, all of these people would have fallen in love with God and repented. Let's read on. Verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet, what? The world did not know him. Well, well, they, they, they would have known him. Come on, if they had just a little bit more evidence, if he had just been there a little bit longer. All right, so John kind of zooms in even closer. He says, really? Okay, he came to his own, and his own people, meaning the Jewish people, who had the light of the Old Testament, who had had prophet after prophet, who had John the Baptist pointing to the light, who had miracles and prophecies and psalms and a temple, and God had done all kinds of things. And what do they do? These guys who have all the knowledge... They didn't receive him. Maybe God's smarter than we think he is. Maybe he knew who wouldn't receive him, and so he kind of knew where they should be. That they were there for a purpose, they were there on purpose, that they were there. He gave them just enough light, but they rejected it, and so he left them there. And maybe God knew that even if he had sent his son there, that none of them would believe, none of them would receive. And so he brought the light to a certain people who could understand it, brought all these witnesses to point, 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 so that everybody would hear, and yet still, will people, some will reject the light God is sending. They point and point and point and point and point, and they still reject, and so God does something else. He says, there's going to be a few that receive him, and here's what you're going to do. You guys who are that few, you're going to be the witnesses. You're going to get up, and you're going to go tell the world. And so these 12 apostles and these 500 other disciples get this message. They get geared up. They get all excited. And you know what they do next? They have a Bible study. They tell some people, some numbers start growing. But they stay in Jerusalem. Eventually, Jerusalem gets to the point, And you're thinking, man, they're going to erupt out. They're going to get out there to the world. And they have a Bible study. Until God goes, okay, here's a persecution. Boom. And all the people spread out. They spread out all over the, all over the country. All start, they start all these churches. And all these things start happening. And the apostles, they stay in town and have a Bible study. Until finally, James dies. They go, okay, we got to get out of here. And they spread out all over, the na- all over the world, start preaching this gospel, starting all these churches. And these churches eventually erupt to be an entire empire. That empire tries to spread down to Africa, out into China, up north. It reaches the barbarian hordes called the German people. Any Germans in here? Yeah, my people, your people. You know, they start reaching the Saxons and the Angles up in England. And the gospel starts to spread. It goes to the very borders of the land. And you know what they do? They have a Bible study. 
Finally, somebody goes, we can sail. And they get on a boat and they start sailing around for merchandise and to sell stuff. And some missionaries go, we could do that. They jump on board and they start spreading the message just to the borderlands where they have Bible studies. And everybody goes, well, this is great. We're not going in there. Until some dedicated men who are willing to be witnesses, meaning they're willing to die, break into the patterns, uh, break into China, break up into Africa, begin to spread this message until now today, because of those people who have gone and died for the sake of the gospel, you will find the gospel exploding, not in the United States where we're having Bible studies, not in Europe where they stopped having Bible studies because they were boring and they wound up seeing the gospel where people are willing to die spreading like crazy in China, in Africa, in South America, in Australia, where there are more Christians to date right now than you can count in the West. Guys, the gospel, when it spreads the light, it spreads. And when we sit and have Bible study and we put it before the pre before the message itself, people reject, but there are some who are going to receive, but what about those people? that don't hear. If that's your burden, if that's what's bugging you, if you still can't get off that question, maybe God's called you there. Maybe it's time to pack up and get moving. Maybe it's time to set aside the riches and the comforts like Jesus didn't say, you know what, for the sake of the gospel, I'm going to go there. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. Well, that's not my calling. You know, I immediately, I think that's what just went through most people's heads in this room. We just went, nah, not me. That's fine. Maybe you're not called to another place, but you're called to somewhere. If I want you guys to walk away with anything, Olive Branch, here's what I want you to walk away with. We have a mission statement at the church. And it's not just a mission statement because churches need mission statements. The mission statement of our church is that Olive Branch exists to change everyday people into a community of passionate Christ followers for God's glory. Here's what I'd love to do. Let's just drop the Olive Branch part off. Just punt, gone. And instead, insert the word I. What if it was to be here at this church meant I exist to change everyday people into a community of passionate Christ followers? What if it meant that I have a purpose and a passion, a direction and a mission, and that is to see people change? What if we just shrunk it down to simply this, that Olive Branch, if you're part of this church, you call this home, you need to say this out loud and tell yourself, I'm a change agent. That it's my job to be a change agent. And that means God has called you somewhere. Maybe it's not the mission field of an unreached people group, but maybe he's called you somewhere. In fact, I know it. You don't have the job you have for no reason. The place that you reside in your job is the place you're to shine your light. What if the, what if the very soccer team your children are on or the baseball team your kids are on is the very place that you're supposed to be a witness of the light? What if you find yourself in the middle of a Starbucks because it's the one you're always going to with the same barista every single time? Maybe God's trying to show you something. What if your neighbors are your neighbors for a reason? But your family is your family for a reason. No, you may not be called out there, but you're called somewhere. And where you find yourself is where you're called to. You and I are to be witnesses of light. And maybe what I want you to do is write this down and write, I am a change agent, and then write where I am. I don't see any pins moving. Some of you guys are like, okay, cool. Other guys are going, oh, I feel like same thing in first service. Like, I just got smacked. I'm sorry. <laughs> but this is hitting me too. 
I don't want to be a Bible study for Bible study's sake. I would love to see us coming to our small groups with, I just got worked by my next door neighbor with this question. What do we do with that? Oh, just call Greg. He'll give you like a nine page email. My, my, my neighbors, they are literally falling apart. I don't know what they're going to do. They're in a divorce cycle. It's horrible. How do I help them? Oh, call Brent. He's got great advice for this kind of stuff. He knows all the counselors. He can get them plugged in. Oh, my, my best friend's kids are going crazy. They're, they're just rebelling and they're going through all this stuff. Who, who has any advice for them? Oh, call the church. Gina and all these people who've done youth ministry, they know they've had kids. They'll give you some thoughts or at least somebody who else who knows what, who to talk to. Guys, we're here to equip you. But we got no questions. We've only got our own concerns. And some of those are big and huge. I get it. But we're called to be witnesses of the light. I'm a change agent. And I'm called to the place I'm at. Where have you been called? Because yes, some are going to reject, but guys, praise God. Some are going to receive him to become children of God. Amen? No, no amen on that one. I don't want to say that. You know, amen just means yes, or I agree, or so be it. That's all amen means, by the way, for those of you who are like, why do we always say that? That's what it means. What I want to challenge you guys is that God has people in your world, your circle, that is going to receive. It's going to blow you away. It's going to shock you. I mean, I hear you. Yeah. I can't write that into the notes. Like, that doesn't compute, but it's real. It happens. You'll be blown away because here's what happens. All who did receive him, who believed in his name, that means trusted in the work that he did, he gave them the right to become children of God. They're born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. Look, you can't be born into Christianity. Right there, it's not, it's not by your blood. It's not by your desires. You can't be born into Christianity. Our children must make a decision. They must receive the gift of God. They must receive and trust that Jesus has done a great work. What is this great work? That he's come and on the cross, he bore our sins. We owe God a huge debt. And one day we will stand before God and there will be a day in which he will reckon it all and he will have a gavel in hand. He will not be acting as dad. He will not be acting as creator. He will be acting as judge and he will declare our guilt perfectly and rightly and we will owe him. But he knows that day is coming and so he sent his son Jesus Christ to bear that debt, to wipe it clean, not just so that you could become, hey, free and go do whatever you want. No, so you could become a child of God. Now, some of you guys got rotten dads. So let's clean this up a bit. This is a dad that I'm jealous of because I'm not the greatest dad in the world. I love being a dad, and sometimes I hate being a dad. Any dads out there feel the same way? Because sometimes you're like, I love being a dad. I get to love these kids. This is awesome. And sometimes you're like, I hate being a dad because I'm a selfish jerk, and I just yelled at my kids when I shouldn't have, right? I'm not alone. Please tell me I'm not alone. 
And the reality is simply this, that our father doesn't do that. He's purposeful, he's powerful, and he's knowledgeable. And when you become a child of God, he's not up there to yell at you and devalue you and hurt you, but he's up there to coach you. He's up there to point you. He's up there to spank you when you're going the wrong direction to get you going the right direction. He's up there to hug you. He's up there to walk with you through the fire. He is your father if you have trusted that Jesus Christ has borne your sins and has made you part of his family. To become a son or child of God is simply to have the ability to call on him for need and help. Doesn't mean he'll always do it. Sometimes he's like, look, what's better for you as you go through this. We don't like that. I like when my own dad did that, let alone God does that, but he's there and he's walking with us. But if you have not received Jesus, you're not a child of God. You're his creation. You're a child of Adam and the children of Adam have a problem. We're all a bunch of jerks. We're all a bunch of messes. We're a bunch of haters. We're all willing to do whatever we want to do and insult God all day long. That's what a child of Adam receives. You have to have a rebirth and be made in the, as a child of God. That comes by receiving the gift of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and his resurrection with new life. And in that, a new life begins, a new journey begins with God as your father. What's this big bright light? Why are churches exploding all over the world? Not literally exploding, but growing all over the world. Why are there people, children who are faithful to have their heads chopped off and parents who call it a blessing? Where does that come from? This light named Jesus Christ, who has given us everything. He's given us life eternal that cannot be stolen from us and a relationship with God that never ends. We are his children. He loves us and cares for us. And we will do whatever it takes to tell everyone we can. Because it's not about works. It's about a gift. And it's not about slaving away. It's about God's love. He loves you so much that he gave his own son. And if you would simply trust in what he did, he'd give you eternal life. That's what we share with everyone we can. You and I are agents of that light. Change agents. Where are you called? right where you are. It's a wrestling match for each of us. I want to challenge you to think about it. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're a Christian, I want you to ponder that thought as you talk to God, as we sing this song, as we stand up and sing it together. Just, just allow God to work in your heart. But there's others of you in this room who have not yet received that gift. And I want you to think through, what's your explanation for the light? I'm telling you, Jesus loves you and he's borne your sins. Are you willing to receive that? God, I ask that you would just open our hearts up. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Show us our great need. And God, may we respond appropriately. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.